0: Chapter Twenty One of *The Elusive Pimpernel* by Baroness Orczy, read for by Karen Savage in February two thousand and eight. Chapter Twenty One, Suspense. In his memorable interview with Robespierre the day before he left for England, Chauvelin had asked that absolute power be given him in order that he might carry out the plans for the capture of the Scarlet Pimpernel which he had in his mind. Now that he was back in France, he had no cause to complain that the revolutionary government had grudged him this power for which he had asked. Implicit obedience had followed whenever he had commanded. As soon as he heard that a woman had been arrested in the act of uttering a passport in the name of Céline Dumont, he guessed at once that Marguerite Blakeney had, with characteristic impulse, fallen into the trap which, with the aid of the woman Candée, he had succeeded in laying for her. He was not the least surprised at that. He knew human nature feminine nature far too well, ever to have been in doubt for a moment, that Marguerite would follow her husband without calculating either costs or risks. Eh, gods, the irony of it all! Had she not been called the cleverest woman in Europe at one time? Chauvelin himself had thus acclaimed her in those olden days, before she and he became such mortal enemies, and when he was one of the many satellites that revolved round brilliant Marguerite Saint-Just. And to-night, when a sergeant of the town-guards brought him news of her capture, he smiled grimly to himself. The cleverest woman in Europe had failed to perceive the trap laid temptingly open for her. Once more she had betrayed her husband into the hands of those who would not let him escape a second time. And now she had done it with her eyes open, with loving, passionate heart which ached for self-sacrifice, and only succeeded in imperilling the loved one more hopelessly than before. The sergeant was waiting for orders. Citizen Chauvelin had come to Boulogne, armed with more full and more autocratic powers than any servant of the new republic had ever been endowed with before. The governor of the town, the captain of the guard, the fort and municipality were all as abject slaves before him. As soon as he had taken possession of the quarters organized for him in the town hall, he had asked for a list of prisoners who, for one cause or another, were being detained pending further investigations. The list was long, and contained many names which were not of the slightest interest to Chauvelin. He passed them over impatiently. "'To be released at once,' he said curtly. He did not want the guard to be burdened with unnecessary duties, nor the prisons of the little seaport town to be inconveniently encumbered. He wanted room, space, air, the force and intelligence of the entire town at his command, for the one capture which meant life and revenge to him. A woman, name unknown, found in possession of a forged passport in the name of Céline Dumont, made to the citizeness Désirée attempted to land, was interrogated, and failed to give satisfactory explanation of herself, detained in room number no. 6 of the Gaillol prison this was one of the last names on the list—the only one of any importance to Citizen Chauvelin. When he read it, he nearly drove his nails into the palms of his hands, so desperate an effort did he make not to betray before the sergeant, by look or sigh, the exultation which he felt. For a moment he shaded his eyes against the glare of the lamp, but it was not long before he had formulated a plan and was ready to give his orders. He asked for a list of prisoners already detained in the various forts. The name of Labbé Fouquet with those of his niece and nephew attracted his immediate attention. He asked for further information respecting these people, heard that the boy was a widow's only son, the sole supporter of his mother's declining years. The girl was ailing, suffering from incipient phthisis, and was blind. Bardie, The very thing! L'abbé himself, the friend of Juliette Marny, the pathetic personality around which this final adventure of the Scarlet Pimpernel was intended to revolve, and these two young people, his sister's children—one of them blind and ill, the other full of vigour and manhood—Citizen Chauvelin had soon made up his mind. A few quick orders to the sergeant of the guard, and L'abbé Fouquet, weak, helpless, and gentle, became the relentless jailer who would guard Marguerite more securely than a whole regiment of loyal soldiers could have done. Then, having dispatched a messenger to the Committee of Public Safety, Chauvelin laid himself down to rest. Fate had not deceived him. He had thought and schemed and planned, and events had shaped themselves exactly as foreseen, and the fact that Marguerite Blakeney was at the present moment a prisoner in his hands was merely the result of his own calculations. As for the scarlet Pimpernel, Chauvelin could not very well conceive what he would do under these present circumstances. The duel on the southern ramparts had, of course, become a farce, not likely to be enacted now that Marguerite's life was at stake. The daring adventurer was caught in a network at last, from which all his ingenuity, all his wit, his impudence, and his amazing luck, could never extricate him. And in Chauvelin's mind there was still something more. Revenge was the sweetest emotion his bruised and humbled pride could know. He had not yet tasted its complete intoxicating joy, but every hour now his cup of delight became more and more full, in a few days it would overflow. In the meanwhile he was content to wait. The hours sped by, and there was no news yet of that elusive Pimpernel. Of Marguerite he knew nothing, save that she was well guarded. The sentry who passed up and down outside room number six had heard her voice and that of the Abbé Fouquet, in the course of the afternoon. Chauvelin had asked the Committee of Public Safety for aid in his difficult task, but forty-eight hours at least must elapse before such aid could reach him—forty-eight hours, during which the hand of an assassin might be lurking for him, and might even reach him ere his vengeance was fully accomplished. That was the only thought which really troubled him. He did not want to die before he had seen the scarlet Pimpernel, a withered, abject creature, crushed in fame and honour, too debased to find glorification even in death. At this moment he only cared for his life because it was needed for the complete success of his schemes. No one else he knew would have that note of personal hatred towards the enemy of France, which was necessary now in order to carry out successfully the plans which he had formed. Robespierre and all the others only desired the destruction of a man who had intrigued against the reign of terror which they had established. His death on the guillotine, even if it were surrounded with the halo of martyrdom, would have satisfied them completely. Chauvelin looked further than that. He hated the man. He had suffered humiliation through him individually. He wished to see him as an object of contempt rather than of pity. And because of the anticipation of this joy, he was careful of his life, and throughout those two days which elapsed between the capture of Marguerite and the arrival of Collot d'Herbois at Boulogne, Chauvelin never left his quarters at the Hotel de Ville, and requisitioned a special escort consisting of proved soldiers of the town guard to attend his every footstep. On the evening of the 22nd, after the arrival of Citizen Collot in Boulogne, he gave orders that the woman from number no. 6 cell be brought before him in the ground-floor room of the Fort Gayol. End of chapter 21